Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Nikias Duncan from the Basketball News is here. Nikias, the last one we did got such a strong uh, response that I felt like it was a no-brainer to bring you back, man. How you doing? I am doing quite well. Uh, honestly, a little surprised that uh, the support I got. Uh, people were pretty excited about it. I am definitely glad to be back. So thanks for having me. It was a super fun conversation. It's always great when the response to the podcast publicly is as good as like the conversation that you have is like the last one I did with Seth part. Now it was the same deal. Um, the time before that was the first time I had James Edwards on and it was the same thing. Like everyone was like super, super complimentary about uh, like the conversation that James had. And then in the middle of the conversation with James, we just looked down at the time and it was like, Oh shit, we've been talking for an hour and it felt like 10 minutes, you know, like one of those, like it's always great when that happens. And the last time that I had you on, it felt the same way. So we're giving you a full episode this time. And we're going to talk about the Daryl Morey decision to go be the president of basketball operations in Philadelphia. In addition to uh, a Southeast Division preview of the offseason. So we're going to run through the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards, the Orlando Magic, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Atlanta Hawks. So let's start with the Daryl Morey news that he's going to Philadelphia. Did this surprise you at all? Uh, it, It did surprise me a little bit just in regard to the timing uh i was a little surprised that daryl got that job honestly like i'm not surprised that it was philly i was just surprised that that opportunity opened up to him as soon as it did i figured that philly was pretty much done making their major moves after the doc hiring i thought they were going to give elton brand i guess another run at it or maybe hire someone in the front office to kind of help him out with some of those responsibilities as he continues to grow in the role. Um, I figured Daryl Moore is going to take a year off just based on what he dealt with in Houston this year. So for him to pop up with a five-year deal just kind of caught, I feel like it caught everyone off guard. Yeah, you know, Matt Penny and I, you can go back and listen to a podcast, um, the listeners can, on October 16th, where we talked about Daryl and we talked about his legacy in Houston and how this ushers in an era of change there. And one of the, basically the last thing that Matt asked me was, what do you think the future holds for Daryl Morey? And the first job that I brought up was Philadelphia, right? Uh They've been interested in the past. That's not a new, that's not a secret, right? Uh, I think it's been reported that they've been interested in the past. Mm-hmm. I figured it would be the summer slash off season, whenever that is. Uh, I think that it's probably going to be the summer, but who knows with these new collective bargaining agreement negotiations. Uh, I figured that it would be next year, not this year. Uh, I thought that Philadelphia always made the most sense. And then on top of it, I tended to take Daryl at his word that, you know, I want to be around family. I want to be around uh, my daughters that are teenagers now and uh, have be around and not have to work an all encompassing 90 hour a week job that being the head of a uh, front office is. So I assumed it would be next year, but I think that the Philadelphia move 
makes sense for a number of reasons. Uh, he's an East Coast guy. It's a team that does need another strong voice in the front office. It, there are just so many different avenues you could say why this is a home run for Philadelphia. And honestly, if you're Daryl, there aren't many more attractive opportunities than this because Philadelphia right now is an extremely talented team that is at a bit of a nadir in terms of uh, Mm -hmm. public perception. So if you can make moves very quickly and turn around and do some things that can change the structure of this team and it results in success, he's going to be seen as an extremely positive in an extremely positive light here going forward as he is uh, already. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that fan base is definitely primed for some roster reconstruction. Um, just off of the heels of the Al Horford contract, going back a little bit, the Markel Fultz deal that ultimately did not work out for them. Um, I think if Daryl Morey can kind of flip the roster on his head or even just make some moves along the margins to kind of build around Joel and Ben, I think that's going to put Philly in a great position moving forward. That's definitely going to boost his status as if it could get much higher anyway. I think Daryl Morey is pretty highly regarded Yep. Um, as a move maker. So I think this definitely a top tier job for him. I'm interested to see what he does. Yeah. And it's fascinating because this is so very clearly, this roster is basically the antithesis of what he had in Houston. Right. Houston, they went as small as humanly possible with Robert Covington playing the five and a relatively heliocentric offense with James Harden playing the lead guard next to Russell Westbrook and just surrounding those two with spacing options. The Philly roster essentially zigged while everyone was zagging and went super big. So... How does Daryl decide to reshape this roster in a vision that is consistent with what we know about Daryl is going to be the most fascinating thing to me because there are so many different avenues and ways that I think that he could go about doing that. Yeah, I think just from what we know about Daryl, his big thing is having a star in place or having two stars in place. So the fact that he's walking into a roster that already has two stars or superstars, depending on how you feel about Joel Embiid. I think that's obviously huge for him. Um, I think beyond that, I think um, move number one is trying to follow ball, find a ball handler. I think that's going to be the big thing for him. Um, my initial thought, I made kind of a joke tweet, the counter days, Joel Embiid, just to see if they're going to flip him for a guard or try to downsize and kind of build it around Ben Simmons. But thinking, uh, think a little deeper on it. Honestly, I would not be – I think – you kind of have to think Chris Paul is in play at this point if he wasn't already. I think that relationship is already there. Um, Daryl obviously isn't afraid to move picks to bring in guys that he likes. And I think that kind of, I mean, it definitely makes on-court sense to go for a guy like Chris Paul and kind of direct the offense. Um, has the pull-up jumper in his bag the way that he does. Um, another strong voice in the locker room that definitely needs one. Um, just from some of the whispers that you hear coming out of that locker room. Um, I, I think that's going to be the big thing. Just finding someone that can create off the bounce. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's creating off the bounce in half court settings and finding guys who can be pull up threats late in shot clocks in half court settings. Uh, this team struggled 
you know, very publicly in fourth quarters this year. Right. Uh, in part, I think it's because defense is tightened up and it gets to the point where they just don't have some elite option as a late shot clock guy. So they can just mm-hmm. break down a defense and get a relatively uh, maybe not efficient by the standards of, you know, the average 109 offensive rating uh, offense in the NBA right now. But, you know, can you get a 45 percent look? Uh, you know, from the mid range, can you get a, a shot that, you know, you're, you're not just punting the possession at the end of the day. And I really went to bat for Philadelphia trying to acquire Chris Paul at the deadline. I thought that they should have moved heaven and earth to try and do so. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that they would have been favorites uh, in the East if they would have done so. Like I, I believe that strongly in that fit. So if they can find any way to do that, if given what <laughs> I, I I can't imagine a world where Sam Presti sees anything though on this Philly roster that appeals to him, like the number 21, 34 and 36 picks, there's enough of a market for Chris Paul this summer to where I think he goes for more than like those picks plus Matisse Thibel and mm-hmm. salary matching, right? Yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit more than that. They're going to have to go into the future well. Uh, I don't know how comfortable they would be doing that, but I think it would take those picks. Um, like, I don't think Horford gets it done. I think it would probably take some convincing on, like, Tobias Harris to see if there would be any interest there, especially if uh, the Thunder lose Danilo Gallinari this offseason. Maybe that's a fit if they want to continue to be competitive there. But yeah, I think the market for Chris Paul is going to grow. Like, there's enough smoke with the Knicks that I feel like they'll try it, even if they shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, just right there, there's that's all the team you need to kind of bid against them. So I think Philly has their, <laughs> they have their work cut out for them. Yeah, and the Knicks have those two Dallas picks as well from the Kristaps Porzingis deal. They have their own number eight overall pick, obviously Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett. Uh, if Oklahoma City has interest in either of those two, so. Yeah, I I struggle to see how Chris Paul gets done there. I mean, the big question to me is how long does Daryl keep together Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? If I was them, what I would do is I would literally like have a meeting with Daryl Morey and Ben Simmons and say like, Ben, are you willing to shoot threes? Are you willing to actually work at this? And if the answer is yes, mm-hmm. great. Uh, I'm in. You are one of our two franchise players. If Ben Simmons is not willing to work on that part of his game, and this comes from someone who is the biggest Ben Simmons fan in terms of upside, like I think there's a very real case for building around him instead of Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I would really strongly consider tossing an offer to his old stomping grounds for James Harden involving Ben Simmons. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, I definitely see the fit there. I probably go the other way. I think it's just worth building around Ben Simmons period. Yeah. Um, There are obvious health concerns with Joel Embiid Um, already has a little bit of mileage on the knees there. And just in general, I've always kind of struggled with what a contender built around Joel Embiid and this post-ups looks like. Yeah. Um, There's been some marginal improvement with him as a passer against double teams, but it still isn't there. Yep. 
Uh, the three-point shot has never been there, even though everyone falls for his pump fake for some godforsaken reason. But just... It, you're just kind of limited in what you can do around a Joel Embiid team, I feel like. So I think it would be worth it for Philly if they aren't going to build around the margins, which I think is going to be option one, try to get a yeah. Chris Paul or someone. But if you're going to trade one or two, I think it's Joel. Um, you already have Ben Simmons locked in. He's younger. Um, even though he doesn't shoot threes, he generates threes at a higher rate than just about anyone in the league. I think he was, what, top two, top three in assists on three-pointers last year, over the last two years. So I think you have a ready-made system there just to kind of go four out or five out around Ben Simmons. Um, I, I think that's the way you go with it. So if it was me, yes, that's what I would prefer to do. Which pairing do you think is better, Ben Simmons and James Harden, or Joel Embiid and James Harden? Uh, I would probably go Harden and Simmons. I think you get more um you get more long term value there. I feel and like Ben kind of thrives if you're look talking in a half court setting. Like I think you're going to get more out of a Harden Ben pick and roll than you would with a Harden and B pick and roll. And B just hasn't shown that he can yeah. be an elite target there. Like he just, despite his tools, the touch, the size, the length, like he doesn't have much vertical pop. And yeah. he also doesn't roll very hard. So I don't think you create the same things. Um, if you're running that with Simmons as the screener, like if you're not trapping James Harden, then that's trouble. And if you do trap James Harden, good luck stopping Ben Simmons on a four on three or three on two or whatever. So I would look into that. And I think you're, if you're building around like James Harden and someone, I think you kind of have to be a team that's willing to switch because I don't, you're not going to have James Harden fighting over screens in the drop coverage. Like, we have enough evidence to see that he isn't going to do that. Um, and he's Houston just able to like kind of be a defender, too. Right, right, right. So I think if you're going to a switch heavy scheme, especially in like playoff situations, having Ben Simmons makes more sense there than Joel. So I think is there's just more there with Harden and Simmons. I think I actually agree with you. The more that, like, I, I did not go into this conversation having really thought about this because, hey, it's 7.30 in Australia and I haven't really woken up yet. <laughs> but right. I think I agree with you. If you could, like, if you think about who the best small ball five in the NBA would be, there's a very real mm-hmm. chance it could be Ben Simmons in like two years. Like the just the skill set, everything yeah, like, he does from a skill perspective fits that uh, fits that ideal. Yeah, like he gives you the athleticism, he gives you the short roll playmaking, he obviously gives you the finishing. Um, his arms are he doesn't have super long arms, but he's explosive enough to where it kind of doesn't matter. Just a menace in the passing lanes can defend a bunch of different players. Like I, I think the future is there for him. Like if you want to downsize with Ben Simmons at the five, you can do that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that it probably. I mean, at the end of the day, like it does hurt Philadelphia's defense, but you move. Man, it's hard to trade Joel Embiid though. Like. It's hard to wrap my head around that, given everything that he is to Philadelphia. And, like, we're really just going crazy here talking about this, I feel like, on some level. Right. Like, it feels uh, feels very, very, very premature. But 
this roster is just so unlike anything that Daryl Morey has ever had at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I guess he was there early on with like the Yao years, but even that roster was not as big as this roster. Like this roster Mm -hmm. is unwieldy in a lot of ways because of Al Horford at the four, like Horford at some point I would think is going to go, but maybe not. Yeah. And that's, I think that's another benefit. If you do decide, if we're just talking, getting James Harden in there, if you're flipping Embiid for him, then I think that's added benefit there because that opens up more of a role for Al Horford and you can kind of recoup some of that value. He's not he's not going to match the value of that contract, especially at this point, but he can get closer if he's actually playing the five just because the shooting, the playmaking opens up more against centers than it does against other fours. So I think that's definitely a, a smaller element to it. I think at the end of the day, they're probably going to make the moves on the margins for this year. See if they can make the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid fit work. Next year, I think, is when conversations about Embiid and Simmons get serious. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is the first year where if they were to start poorly, it's going to get loud. Yeah. That conversation will like actually move to the forefront. Like It's been simmering underneath and you know Philadelphia fans have an opinion on it. But I think that that becomes like a national talking point if Philadelphia starts poorly this year. The Simmons and Embiid fit in a way that tends not to end with a pairing staying together. <laughs> it's it's never felt natural. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if they start off slow, like you have to kind of go towards that way at a certain point. Uh a couple of other random moves that like could make some sense. I've brought up the Buddy Healed and Al Horford uh, centered trade before. How would you feel about that for both of those teams? Uh, I would love it for Philly. Just a adding shooting and b adding some movement shooting. I think would be huge for them. Um, you already saw kind of the. Um, the chemistry that J.J. Redick and Joel Embiid had on those dribble handoffs and their screening actions like that. Getting Buddy Hield involved in some of those, even if you haven't been Simmons as the guy setting the screen for Buddy Hield to come off of, that just opens up a lot of things. If you go too far over, that's opening up short roll opportunities for Ben. Um, that's It's a great fit for Philly. Um, it seems like Buddy wants out of there. Um, the bench roll is not something that he likes. For Sacramento, I guess it's just what else are they getting outside of Horford? Because I, there's obvious benefit for getting Horford there. Like, I still think he's good. I don't think he's as bad as the showing in Philly was. It's just an awkward fit for him. But they're going to have to get something, right? Yeah, like, I would think that number 21 would be in the mix there. Like, could you do Horford and 21 for Heald? Uh. Yeah, that probably makes it closer. And then Philly still has, what, some early second-round picks? 34 and 36, yeah. Yeah, so I think yeah, I think you could sacrifice the first-round pick if that gets you buddy healed. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the route I would try to go. I don't know if Sacramento feels the same way, if they even value Horford in that way. Uh, this new front office, again, funny story about this. Now, Daryl Morey is the Philadelphia 76ers president of basketball operations the general manager in sacramento is monty mcnair who worked for daryl morey for a long time mm-hmm. in houston uh 
there is going to be some synergy there, I would think, in terms of uh, at least being willing to have an open conversation about it. Right. Do, do I think that Monty McNair and, you know, the way that Houston people tend to think about basketball tend to think that someone like Al Horford makes sense next to uh, Marvin Bagley and guys like that? Not really. <laughs> um <laughs> But if you're getting extra assets on top of it and you're getting off of a year of Buddy Heald's deal, maybe there's a chance that there's like that thought is more positive. It, it gets tricky in a hurry. It gets very, very tricky in a hurry. Yeah, it would definitely take some convincing. Um, I think the other part, if you're bringing Horford in there, I do think he can help take some responsibility in the half court off of De'Aaron Fox yeah. as he continues to grow as like a pull up shooter. Woo! Um, just just having handoffs. Yeah, there it is. Just having Darren Fox kind of jet off of those and get to the rim, having Al Horford popping out, opening up space for everyone else. Like I think there's a there's definitely a half court fit there. And if the Kings are going to be serious about making the playoffs, in which I mean they're definitely trying, they're trending that way. If they stay healthy, they're going to need a little bit more in terms of half court creation. They're going to have to help De'Aaron somehow. Um, some way so just getting a front court spacer like al horford i think definitely helps uh do you have any other thoughts on this daryl morey choice i i just want to note like i think this is if this goes right daryl morey is going to go to the hall of fame like i think there's a reasonable chance that there, there's a real case that daryl morey should be a hall of famer already he was just mm-hmm. so at the forefront of the analytics revolution that has taken over uh offensive basketball in such a real way in the NBA that it's really, really hard for me to not look at him as one of the most influential people in basketball history, uh, at least like by hall of fame standards. So absolutely. If I was, uh, if I was voting on such a distinction, he would get in. But I think that if he's able to bring Philadelphia a championship in any regard, and there is enough asset value and talent on this roster to do so, uh, that, that is like a no brainer Hall of Fame potential outcome for him. Yeah, I think that definitely does it. Um, as far as other straight thoughts, I don't have much. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be watching to see what kind of point guard they can bring in. Uh, that's that's really going to be the big thing. Like you can't have Shake Milton as your primary. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, we'll take a quick commercial break, then we'll get to the Southeast Division offseason previews. start with your team that uh you know better than just about anyone the miami heat uh go to the nba finals this year have really rebuilt this roster over the course of really 18 months to where they're now building around jim butler bam Adebayo, duncan robinson and tyler hero uh, I, I would say those are the four core guys uh would you mm-hmm. toss anyone else in that group uh no, that definitely doesn't. I feel like the Heat, just from a, I guess just from a historical standpoint, probably view like Udonis Haslam as a pillar. But if we're just talking on court, then that's the four. Right. Uh, I, I would understand that totally. Uh, the thing about that group, though, is that they're going to have max cap space next summer, 
in a year where Giannis Antetokounmpo and many, many others are going to be free agents. So I guess that my question is, does Miami just look to run this back, sign Goran Dragic and Jay Crowder to big balloon one-year contracts and maybe let Derek Jones go because Derek Jones needs to get paid and you know the, the best way for him to do that is to sign a longer deal? Uh, obviously, they have Andre Iguodala under contract. They have an option, I believe, on Kelly Olynyk if memory mm-hmm. serves. Player option, yeah. Yep. Uh, so I... Do they just run this back, do you think? Or do they try to get creative and use some of those one-year contracts on a different potential one-year contract that maybe allows them to maintain that salary cap space in 2021 going forward? Um, I think they're going to hunt around the trade market for guys that already have like a year left. Um, there's been smoke with Victor Oladipo for I don't know how long. Yeah. Um, similar things can be said about LaMarcus Aldridge or DeMar DeRozan. So maybe they'll use some of the contracts that they have, maybe throw that 20 pick in and see if they can hunt around making an an upgrade there to where they improve the roster, but they don't sacrifice that 2021 space. But other than that, I would expect them to kind of run things back. I mean, if they're operating as an over-the-cap team, they're going to have the non-taxpayer mid-level, if I'm not mistaken. That's a little bit over 9 mil, depending on what the cap does. That should put them in range to go for a guy like a Paul Millsap or just some of those kind of moves that where they obviously improve to add a vet, kind of improve their depth. But they, again, keep that 2021 cap space. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's ultimately going to be the move here, that they try to keep the 2021 cap space. The easiest way to bring in someone like a Victor Oladipo would be, you know, I would assume that this is close money wise because I think Victor is on a is it twenty one million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably do something like Kelly Olynyk or Andre Iguodala, Kendrick Nunn, uh, and Chris Silva. I think it's you pretty close on the number mm-hmm. uh, plus like number twenty for Victor Oladipo if they really wanted to try out Oladipo. But obviously, mm-hmm. Oladipo comes with comes with questions. Is maybe the way to put it. Uh, obviously, a very very high level talent in terms of what he's shown previously back in the 2018 season. But he hasn't really been that guy since then, and since the injury has befallen him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. I'm a little less concerned about him. Um, actually wrote a piece a couple weeks ago on Oladipo and just what mm-hmm. trades for him would look like. Um, I'm less con- concerned about bringing Depot in because any team that's trading for him probably isn't bringing him in to be a primary guy. Yeah. And we have enough of a sample on like catch and shoot jumpers to where he's been pretty solid. I think he's floating around 38% over the last three or four years. So I think putting him more of in a sec as a secondary guy, uh, letting him attack closeouts that way instead of having to be the offensive hub helps him. And he still looked pretty good defensively, um, at least in the postseason. He was doing a fantastic job of pounding like Duncan Robinson around screens, um, switching across the perimeter when Andy started switching a little bit more. So I think that combined with having just another or whatever offseason this is going to be, just having a little bit more time to get his legs under him. I think he's going to look better. And if you're making him your number two or your number three guy, 
I think that suits his skill set a little bit better. And his skill set fits really, really well in Miami, particularly. Uh, just in terms of the athleticism, the switchability, the length, the ability to handle the ball in a secondary manner. Like, you can maybe mm-hmm. make a case that, yeah, the catch and shoot is consistent year over year, but maybe you don't want to pair a guy that has shot, what is it? I think it's like 32.5% uh, over the course of the last two years, 2018, 19, and 2019, 20, over you know, mm-hmm. 50 games or whatever, uh, with Jimmy Butler, who is also not really a threat as a shooter. But at the end of the day, I, I do kind of think that I'd be willing to take that risk if only for a year to see if it works out. Because if it does work out, it really, really gives them an upper hand going forward. Right. And I think that's the big thing for Miami. If that's the package or something similar, if it's Olenek, none, 20 and another piece of filler like that doesn't interrupt outside of. I mean, those two are rotation guys, but that's not those aren't any players that are in their core, which helps. And again, you still have that 2021 space. So even if it doesn't work, you let Depot walk and then you go big fish hunting that summer. Yeah, no, no question. I think that that's right. Uh, is there any other name out there that you think makes sense for them? In, in terms of a trade target or free agency? or Let's matter? start with trade target. Uh, for this offseason, no. Like, I've just talked to a few of my Heat pals. Like, I can almost be talked into LaMarcus Aldridge if it's Olenek and something. But other than that, no, I think just making some minor splashes in free agency makes more sense for Miami. I would actually kind of love LaMarcus Aldridge there, but I, I love LaMarcus Aldridge as a player. I understand that the style of play is not particularly attractive to watch, but man, do I just love, uh, I, I love watching him. I love the way that he goes about it. He's just got like a very professional attitude that I think would fit well in Miami, despite the fact that he seems like a pretty laid back dude. Uh, mm-hmm. I-, I would be very interested in Miami seeing what they can do with LaMarcus Aldridge, because the other part of that is a LaMarcus Aldridge Bam at a bio front court is very fascinating to me that that could actually like really open up quite a bit for them if LaMarcus is willing to step back and like stretch to the corner from three, which I, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely opens up space and it gives Miami just an end of the shot clock option that Bam just isn't there yet. And LaMarcus Aldridge can sprinkle in those post fades, honestly, until he's like 45 or 50 if he wants to. Yeah. He's always going to have that shot. He's basically a metronome. So just having that option, the space element there, um, a ready-made pick-and-pop option for Jimmy Butler or Goran Dragic, assuming he's back. Like, the offensive fit is there. I worry more about defensively, if anything. Yeah. yeah. Is there? How do you feel about Miami's defensive culture just being so strong that, like, anyone will figure it out? Like, they'll make anyone work on defense. Like, Kelly Olenek fights, but look, Kelly Olenek doesn't exactly have, like, the best physical tools defensively, and they make it work. Uh, Tyler Hero, right. they make it work. Uh, Tyler Hero fights, but, you know, Duncan Robinson works hard, but you know, these guys aren't necessarily super high-level defensive talent guys, and they still make it work. 
Uh, I think that's fair to point out. And even on Aldridge, I mean, there was what a two, I guess the early portions of his San Antonio stint to where he was really good positionally. Yep. Um, wasn't necessarily a stout rim protector, but just in the right spots, um, helping them kind of in possessions there. So if he does take a step back offensively, maybe there's room to make the argument that he'll be fine. And if he's fine on defense, then that raises Miami's ceiling quite a bit just because of the added shot creation they get offensively. Is there a free agent that you really, really like for Miami? Ah, uh, man, I would love for them to get Paul Millsap. I think Millsap definitely, it looked like he lost maybe half a step during the postseason, but I also attribute that to him having so much responsibility defensively with Denver showing Jokic as high as they do, and he kind of has to be that backline guy. I don't think he would have to do that in Miami. And if he doesn't have to do that, then you can switch him. You can drop him. He'll be in the right spots. Offensively, he does a little bit of everything. I mean, there's a ready-made fit there. Um, career high in three-point percentage last year, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 43%. Um, there just isn't anything that Paul Millsap can't do. And if you're telling me you can get him for basically the mid-level exception or a little bit under, depending on what he's asking for, I think you do that 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I, I like Millsap. And he, again, like another guy that just like fits everything from their work culture. Uh mm-hmm. Someone that and like look like with Miami, I keep just talking about culture as opposed to like basketball fits. Like on some level, like does Paul Millsap work in the construct of their like dribble handoff and versatile defense and stuff at thirty six years old? I mean, look like they're probably not going to involve him in like a ton of dribble handoffs. He'd probably be spacing opposite corner at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I think I'd rather just keep Jay Crowder. And give him like a massive one-year balloon payment. I mean, maybe you could bring in both, but like Duncan Robinson, Jay Crowder. Maybe maybe you'd be bringing in Millsap almost as like a Derek Jones replacement in that case. Is that sort of? Yeah, I think eating those minutes. Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't envision Derek Jones Jr. being back. Well, let me take that back. If I were making that decision, Derek Jones Jr. would not be back. Like, I just have too many questions about him in a playoff setting. Um, Obviously, the Heat agree he barely played. Like, as much as he can throw those limbs kind of everywhere on defense, he's not an elite defender by any stretch. And then offensively, if he's not tossing in lobs or cleaning off in the glass, what is he doing? He can't dribble. He can't shoot. Right. There's just only so much you can do there. So if you if you're telling me you can swap out Derrick Jones Jr. minutes for Paul Millsap, like sign me up. Yeah, and the funny thing is that I mean if we're talking mid level, like Millsap probably does not get like a crazy amount more on the market than Derrick Jones does. Because if I'm a team like Detroit, Cleveland, Charlotte, etc., and I'm trying to build like a defensive culture, I'm probably taking mm-hmm. a shot on Derrick Jones's upside and saying like, hey, right. This guy's 23 years old. Let's take a shot on it and see if he continues to develop in the way that the flashes we've seen defensively are real. So it gets real tricky, I think. it gets. I would be surprised to see Derek Jones back, but I actually kind of like Derek Jones. And uh, the problem is that it's just a different timeline for Miami right now. Derek Jones makes more sense on a team that's developing. Miami is no longer developing. Miami's always developing, I guess, uh, just given their... Uh, structure and thought process on things but 
Mm-hmm. Miami is in a place where they're trying to contend, and I don't know that Derek Jones really helps you contend next year necessarily. So I, I like that. I like the Millsap move a lot, actually. Is there anyone else that you really, really like? Um, if it's not Millsap, uh, top of the line would probably be Wes Matthews. If a if he opts out, or b if the Heat want to add another wing, mm-hmm. if they want to kind of just take some of that responsibility off of Jimmy Butler in playoff settings. Sure. Um, with, like Wes Matthews fits. Um, good three point shooter. Um, can get you a guard post up every not every now and then. But, I mean, the defense is obviously a calling card there. Like, Jimmy Butler knows firsthand. Like, he was – Wes Matthews was basically the one guy that defended Jimmy Butler well in that Buck series. Um, seemed like the only guy that was actually ducking under his screens, but that's a whole different argument. Uh, I, I think Wes would be a great fit, but he's a great fit for any contender, honestly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Wes Matthews makes a lot of sense for them. I'm trying to think if there's anyone – Else, I mean, like they could have a very real need at the point guard spot if Goran Dragic decides to go elsewhere. Like if he decides to sign like this one year balloon payment in Dallas, right, or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy that makes the most sense for me. Like I, I would really, it's a totally different player, but like putting Chris Dunn in Miami Ooh. and just letting him go nuts and like hound opposing players and like be all about that, like hard work culture. Uh, that's a fascinating idea for me. I think that they would get the absolute most out of him. Oh, that would be fantastic. Uh, it really, any guard in that mode, him, um, Javon Carter, if the Suns don't bring him back or if they can toss out an offer sheet that Phoenix won't match. Um, I wrote in a heat preview a few days ago. Um, if the heat do go to cap space route, renounce their guys. Honestly, I would try to throw an offer at D'Anthony Melton. Like, yeah. I feel like that would be a great young guy to throw money at a fantastic defender, um, growing as a pick and roll guy. Just have to see what the shot does, but that's definitely the kind of guard defender that they need. And if they can, throw out an offer sheet that wouldn't take them out of a max slot next summer. Like, I think that's a great move for them to make. I'm trying to think if there's any other guy, like I think teams should be trying to chase Bryn Forbes. Interestingly, like Bryn Forbes, I think has a shot to be like a pretty valuable piece for someone. Uh, mm. That's one that makes some sense to me for Miami, given their just, playoff of screens, the way that they deal with dribble handoffs. If I was San Antonio, I'd be trying to keep Bryn Forbes, but uh, mm. you know, not a crazy expensive price tag on him potentially and a guy that I think could really help uh, and fit within the context of their scheme. Is there anyone else out there? I mean, Jamichael Green would be really good, I think, there. Uh, I think they mm-hmm. would probably get the most out of him, but I would also be really trying to keep him if I was the Clippers too. So, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think that this summer for Miami is all about sort of kind of running it back and adding on the margins if you can, uh, Mm -hmm. or trying to like make a splashy, like Victor Oladipo kind of move, uh, that also maintains future salary cap space. 
Right. I think they're I mean, they're in a fantastic spot. They're in position to retain their guys. They have an exception on a free agent market that's probably going to be a little bit lighter than anticipated because of the cap being up in the air. Um, yep. So they're they're in position to add a piece without sacrificing their big goal. And they've made quite a free agency pitch already getting to the finals as soon as they did. So pretty good spot for Miami to be in. Yeah, kind of a not particularly sexy conversation to have with the Heat, though, because of that. Because it's so much of it is like a waiting period this summer so that they can maybe take a look at next summer. Let's right. uh, let's go to Atlanta, because I think Atlanta is in a pretty interesting-ish spot. They do have the number six pick. I think that they want to try and make a playoff push next year with Trey Young and with all of these young guys. They go out and acquire Clint Capella for the number 16 overall pick in this year's draft, which I actually quite liked that move. Uh, I think it might be 17 now. Uh, Yeah, I quite liked that move. I thought it made some real sense for them to go out and get a win now piece. I thought that the value was right. Uh, Go out and get a league average starting center for the number 16 overall pick that can uh, be a really good dive threat with Trey Young. You know, a sensible move, and that's such a price tag to where it's it doesn't kill you even if you have to play Clint Capella 24 minutes a game because you can't close with him uh, in certain right. games. So I thought that was a really good piece of work. I like all of the moves, basically, that Travis Schlenk has made over the course of his tenure in Atlanta, you know, barring a few, but... You know, it just hasn't quite added up to wins yet, which is interesting on its own. And trying to figure out how to make that jump into wins and losses is a really interesting uh, thing to figure out. Because if you're Atlanta, you have real cap space this summer. You have all of the options that you want at your disposal. Now it's just filling in on the margins and trying to figure out a way to win now. So if you were them... Who are the guys that you would be looking at as real potential targets? Um, I think they have to, as simplistic as it is, they have to look at just about anyone that can defend because the first, I mean, the, what they're going to have to do to contend with a Trey Young led team is put defenders around him. So I think what you would want to do is try to get a front court partner that can clean up some messes or at least offer some versatility with their switching that can kind of keep guys in front. So like I'm looking at a guy like Jeremy Grant, a guy that can run with Trey Young in transition, really good cutter. Um, The jumper teams don't necessarily guard him like a shooter, but the jumper is coming along and has been for a couple of years now. Um, Obviously fits their timeline in terms of age. I think that's the kind of guy you can afford to throw out you know, a four-year deal worth 50 or so million and not feel bad about it. Yeah, I like that. And Jeremy Grant is still a bit younger than I think what people realize because he entered the NBA at such a young age. Uh, Jeremy Grant is still only 26 years old. So he doesn't Mm -hmm. accelerate this age timeline in like a super substantial way. You could imagine him being there in his prime for four years. Another guy that fits the age timeline that I've talked about before on the podcast is DeAnthony Melton. If I was Atlanta, Mm -hmm. they need a backup point guard option. They need someone that is a backup point guard that can potentially play with Trey Young and push him off ball at times. Uh, Everything about DeAnthony Melton's game screams that they should levy an enormous offer sheet to try and steal him from Memphis, I think. Absolutely. They 
that's the kind of guard defender that can you can help tie a trade with. Um, even going back a little bit earlier with the Miami conversation, I think Derrick Jones Jr. in Atlanta is perfect for him. Um, they have the cap space to pay him. He fits the age range. Um, versatile defender. Um, with Trey Young being arguably, if not the best lob passer in the NBA, um, just envisioning a fast break with Trey, John Collins, and Derrick Jones Jr. is going to put butts in seats. Um, I think, I mean, that's that's a smaller move, but one that makes sense for both parties, I feel. Yeah, I think that I agree with that. I don't think I would pay like a crazy amount. Like if I was them, I'd be trying to get Jeremy Grant like four years, 55 million. If I was them, I'd be trying to offer DeAnthony Melton four years, 55 million, which seems like a lot for DeAnthony Melton, but that's probably the number you get to to try and steal him from Memphis. So, right. I'd be looking at those two heavy with Derek Jones. I mean, if you could get him for like 430 with like a team option on the end of that deal, I'd feel a lot better given that he's been a much less effectual player than those two so far. But man, it gets tricky. It gets real tough uh, on this free agency market to find the right guys. It's so weird. And that's what also concerns me about Atlanta because they want to make a playoff push, but it doesn't feel like they're ready to do that yet. Mm -hmm. Like they have the offensive engine in Trey. They have John Collins who could probably be classified as a stretch big now because the, I mean, I believe in the three point shot. There's no reason not to at this point. Um, Clint Capella's there. Um, Cam Reddish, it depends on which version we're going to see. Like post-January, that is a wing that fans should definitely be excited about. Just the playmaking, the dri- the driving, the defense, the, especially the defense. He was a good defender all year long. Yeah. He, he looked but, awesome uh, after the year turned to 2020. Like he looked like a real different – he looked like a totally different player. Like the poise, the confidence, the – the game slowed down for him in such a real way that I thought that yeah, was actually yeah. pretty real uh, in terms of that leap. And if that leap is real, then that makes things, I think that kind of makes things difficult for Kevin Herter moving forward. I'm not sure what his long-term future in Atlanta is. Yeah. And he DeAndre fits Hunter. as like a second. Yeah. Like Herter in particular fits as a secondary creator, but like the defense just isn't there. Um, he still doesn't get to the realm a ton which I think you need someone that can get to the rim to kind of take some pressure off of Trey and create some catch-and-shoot opportunities for him. And I don't know if Herter's that guy. So. Yeah, kind of a sneaky good pick-and-roll player, but not a good enough pick-and-roll player like to get downhill, right? Like it's more of mm-hmm. a similar, you know, not a similar pick-and-roll player to Trey necessarily, but just in the way that like, you know, they use change of pace and, you know, they have really good footwork and can get into the paint and then make like a kickout pass or shoot a little floater. Like, you know, it's it's not that like downhill pick and roll threat that I think Atlanta could really use. And like D'Anthony Melton sort of kind of does a good job of getting downhill, but like isn't quite a good enough finisher to actually right. be of concern two opposing teams. The other option here is obviously the number six overall pick. And if I was them, I'd be looking heavily at Tyrese Halliburton because Halliburton brings you a lot of what the idea of D'Anthony Melton is. Plus just being bigger six foot five guy, Mm -hmm. uh, a guy that can guard both ones and twos really, really good unselfish teammate makes all of the guys around him better just through his sheer presence. Uh, 
can mm-hmm. play in pick and roll as a secondary playmaker. Honestly, can be a backup point guard whenever you want to take Trey out. Like it's just kind of a perfect fit for everything that they need to bring that roster and that backcourt together. I'm interested to see if they look into moving that pick, though, to be honest. Another guy, by the way, that I think makes a lot of sense for them if they were to trade down, like if they could move number six down to like number 14 or something, like if Boston wanted to trade up uh, or, Mm -hmm. you know, number 13 and try to get a player uh, in there in Atlanta. I like the idea of Tyrese Maxey in Atlanta a lot, too if they wanted to move down because he is the kind of guy that does get downhill and really can attack the basket in a real way with his driving ability. And is also a good point of attack defender as well. Um, yep. When you said you're going to trade down, I was about to ask you, like, how would you feel about Cole Anthony in a trade down situation? Cause he seems like a guy that can also get downhill. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting. I'd be worried about like a size, issue there mm-hmm. because you know I, I think Cole Anthony's probably like six two uh and has very short arms. You know, Cole or Trey Young is obviously like six foot with not great length. So I'd be worried about pairing those two together. I'd feel better mm-hmm. about pairing like Tyrese Maxey who's six three with like a you know six seven wingspan plus is two hundred pounds uh than I would Cole Anthony with Trey Young. But I don't hate it. Like I, I'm intrigued by that idea due to his downhill athleticism for sure. The problem is finding the right deal for them to like move down. And mm-hmm. if I was them, like I would like Phoenix doesn't really have that guy. San Antonio, like maybe it's San Antonio. I mean, maybe, maybe San Antonio would want to move up to number six to the point where they would offer DeJounte Murray. Ooh, I don't know if I would like that for them. San Antonio just has so many interesting guards in general. Yeah. Like, do they like, think I that feel- they can get Onyeka Kongwu at six? Like, if they really like Onyeka Kongwu because they want a big man? Like, mm-hmm. could you do, if you're Atlanta and them, could you do, like, number six plus something for DeJounte Murray and 11? Honestly, if you're Atlanta, would you just do number six for DeJounte Murray? <laughs> uh, I probably would. Like, I I don't look like you follow this draft and you have a better handle on the draft than I do. But I don't love the class. Yeah. And DeJounte Murray is young enough to where you're not missing much in terms of like the young value there. And he's also really freaking good. Like if you're. You're talking about a guy that can defend and cover for Trey. Like, Deontay Murray is on the short list of guys at the top of the list there. I really, like, I don't, I think I would need something else other than Deontay. I think I would need, like, one other piece. But the piece is not number 11. Like, I would not do 11 in Deontay Murray to move up to 6 if I was San Antonio. But, like, Mm -hmm. could I do something else? Like, is there another... Is there like a circuit breaker piece there uh, that could make sense to include with DeJounte Murray to get number six? Maybe like that. That's actually uh, that's an interesting one to me. If I was San Antonio yeah, like, in Atlanta. Like how does San Antonio feel about Luca? I guess. Yeah. Like, would they be willing to part with him? I, I don't, I'm not a Luka Samanich guy. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that that would be the piece for me if I was Atlanta either. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Um, 
Uh, yeah, like it, it can't be Lonnie Walker. Bryn Forbes is obviously a uh, free agent this year, so it's not him. Like, it's it's hard to find that single circuit breaker piece because I, I think I would want more than Dejounte Murray entering a four year, sixty four million dollar deal. Like, is yeah. is that something else? Forty one overall. I don't. I think I would want even a little bit more than that. To be honest, even though I like the depth in this draft, uh, uh, would San Antonio part with Keldon? I think that I wouldn't. If I was San Antonio, I don't think I would do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's too much. There's something that's here, okay. though. Like there, there's, <laughs> there's something to this. Like it's maybe it's like a super protected first round pick in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, one through twenty protected pick. And then it becomes like three second rounders or something. Yeah, something like that could work. Like, I, I kind of dig this idea though. Is where I'm where I'm going with this. Is I'm in on. This <laughs> I see. I see. Give me Trey and Dejounte. I'm here for it. Yeah, like that. That seems like the kind of creative move that helps Atlanta win sooner, keeps them within their uh, window, keeps them within their uh timeline in terms of like looking toward the future as well as now i don't know that there's something to that though but again like atlanta needs defenders like that's where we're at atlanta just straight Mm -hmm. up needs defenders that's gonna be it but maybe are they a could they possibly trade up from six Maybe six and like Herder kind of put them in range for a guy like Anthony Edwards just to get a, a downhill presence that takes some pressure off a of trade. Does that appeal to them at all? I am a little bit worried about keeping Anthony Edwards in Atlanta. Um, but I don't hate the idea. Uh, and then like Anthony Edwards defensively as well. That seems concerning to me uh just given his flat out uh just apathy defensively is maybe the way to put it like just did not care defensively in a way that would concern me playing him next to Trey. okay is it not comparing him to ben simmons obviously but like in terms of like the mindset is it more he was bad at defense because he didn't want to or is it or does he have like legitimate lapses on that end to where he can't Definitely can has all of the tools to be a good defender physically. Mm-hmm. I worry about like his basketball IQ in general. Um, like his shot selection is horrible. He doesn't seem to make the right off ball reads defensively all the time. So I, I don't think that's for me personally. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't I don't love that. Like with Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is like a genuine like basketball genius, right? And like mm-hmm. you could see the flashes even though he didn't give a shit. With Anthony Edwards, you could see the flashes on the ball uh whenever it was like a tight game late, he would like sit down and make life miserable for teams. Like if you go back and watch the like maybe last 2 minutes of regulation and overtime against SMU, like mm-hmm. holy shit, you'd be like oh my god, Anthony Edwards is going to be like an all-NBA defender on the ball. But, yeah, that doesn't 
happen enough for me and he's bad enough yeah. off ball to where i'd be worried about it okay that's fair um you, like also like killian hayes is like another name for them too um more of a second secondary playmaker I worry about the jump shot with Killian Hayes, but uh, you know another name in the vein of Tyrese Halliburton that I think makes sense. I, I wouldn't want to give up an additional asset to take Anthony Edwards at number two plus something else. Uh, that I got you, got you. I like Isaac Okoro for them as well. By the way, like if I was them, it would probably go Halliburton, Okoro, Okongwu maybe like Denny and then Hayes for me on their board. Okay. Um, I think Okoro has some like real potential secondary playmaking ability uh, plus being like a super high level team defender. He's just a guy that like helps you win basketball games at the end of the day. Like that, that guy is such a high field guy, uh, really sneaky passer, like, great defender does everything that you're looking for out of a role player uh to the point where like he could exceed the role player designation gotcha um how worried are you about the shot terrified absolutely (laughs) but the the funny thing is he shoots better off the dribble than he does off the catch like he was not a disaster off the dribble shooter this year because he has like off the catch he has this super exaggerated ball dip and it takes him like all out of rhythm and he ends up like hunching his shoulders and fading away and doing like a bunch of weird shit with his shot um i i don't think the shot is like dead on arrival but it's gonna take a long time like i'm i'm genuinely pretty worried about the shot Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, let's. Uh, is is there anyone else that you want to bring up for Atlanta here? I, I really like the Dejounte idea. Like, I'm glad that we had this conversation on the podcast for it. <laughs> because for the love of God, go try and steal him from San Antonio. He's so good, but um, for Atlanta, not anyone off the top of my head. Again, like really anyone that can defend would be yeah. huge for them. Um actually here's here's I, one other like question here. Would you rather sign DeAnthony Melton to like a 4-year $58 million deal, which is like a very clear overpay for him, or would mm-hmm. you rather move number 6 like for DeJounte Murray and something else? Because I'd imagine you're not doing both. You're doing one of those things. One or two. Um, I think in that case, I think you take DeJounte just mm-hmm. because he's so much better than Melton and Al. And he's also young enough to where he has more potential to grow. And I'm interested to see him alongside a guy like Trey, who would put him in positions to create easier shots for himself. Yeah. So I, I think that would appeal to me more than Anthony Melton. Depending on what the something else is, I would agree with you, I think. I think DeJounte is a better fit than DeAnthony Melton. He's just bigger, he's longer, he's a better rebounder, just kind of does everything mm-hmm. that you're looking for from that secondary playmaker role. Let's uh right, and I don't Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and I don't think there's anyone in the draft that can really f- check all those boxes the way DeJounte can. 
Yeah, like even Tyrese Halliburton, who I love there, he's just nowhere near the on-ball defender that DeJounte Murray is. Mm -hmm. And that's like one thing I'd be looking for. I I do want like a really high-level on-ball defender next to Trey Young. Um, Where do you want to go? Orlando, Charlotte, or Washington next? I'll give you the choice. Ooh, man. Let's go with... Let's go Charlotte. Okay. Number three overall pick in this draft. Uh, yesterday, Rick Bennell over at the Charlotte Observer, who's probably the most plugged in Hornets reporter out there, uh, reported that they are zeroed in on James Wiseman in this upcoming NBA draft. That tracks with what I've reported throughout the draft process. Um, you know, as I tweeted yesterday, like I wrote in their mock draft or in the mock draft that I think that. If James Wiseman is on the board, I think he's definitely the pick for them. Um, do you like that at the end of the day? Let, let's start there. Do you like the idea of them prioritizing James Wiseman? Um, I actually do like James Wiseman for them. Um, as much as I feel like Cody Zeller has been underrated over the last two or three years, like they do need an upgrade at that spot. Um, I think Wiseman definitely fits there just giving them someone that can get, I think he helps the Hornets guards get downhill, which I think is a huge concern for him. Um, as good as Devonte Graham was as a pull-up shooter, he didn't get to the rim much and didn't look particularly comfortable when he did get there. I think having a guy like James Wiseman to screen for him and roll for him can kind of create some better looks for Devonte Graham. Um, maybe create some more favorable three point shots for others. If they go downhill, um, and again, Wiseman is a fantastic lob threat. Um, defensive potential is there, and you're going to need someone to lock down the paint if Devontae Graham's going to be your starting point guard. I think that's just a ready-made target for opposing offenses to attack there. Um, I think it's a pretty strong fit. Honestly, it makes sense. So I agree with you. Uh, I would have uh, James Wiseman as a priority guy for them. Uh, I really quite like what he brings to the table as a potential option for them in the front court. I I think it just makes all the sense in the world, actually, uh, for them to be looking at Wiseman. I have Wiseman at number two on my board. Uh, They have a real need at center. They could use a real impact defensive center, as you said. Everything about this makes sense. And to be honest, I would much rather utilize this asset on James Wiseman and then try to, you know, do something else in free agency then use like real free agency money on a center because i would imagine that if they don't take wiseman that is what is coming right i mean there's a decent pool of free agent centers out there but i think if you can lock in a guy like james wiseman who already gives you he's going to rim roll he's going to protect the rim and then there are enough ball skill flashes and enough shooting flashes there to where he can scale upwards moving forward like i think you make that bet now yeah, I actually wrote that in my um, team-specific big boards for Charlotte that I would take, that I would rather trade down than take James Wiseman. I, I don't, I, I would not do that now. The more I think about it, the more I would not do that. Like, I mm-hmm. think that this is an outdated thought process from me from, you know, a month and a half ago. Uh mm-hmm. If I was them, I would probably take James Wiseman. And part of it is because, like, I've really gone back and watched a lot of James Wiseman. Uh, like, AAU, high school, uh, went back and watched uh, 
these like McDonald's events and stuff like that. Like he is going to be an elite level defender. Like I, I'm not real worried about that, and I think he's going to be a great rim runner. If I was, I, I have him at number two as opposed to number four on my board, which is where I had him whenever I wrote this previously. Uh, mm-hmm. He's to me one of the safest players in the draft. Like I feel very confident he's going to be a high level player. He is just a super high level character kid as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm buying everything that James Wiseman is selling right now uh, as a as a draft prospect. It feels like. Just in general, just reading a bunch of different people, I feel like the stock on James Wiseman has gone up quite a bit over the last month and a half. You, do you just attribute that to people kind of going back to the film like you have or just talking to more people? Or what do you think it is? I think it's that. <laughs> how much how much trouble do I want to get myself in? I think that people in the public sphere. Went too far in the direction of not wanting any big men period Mm -hmm. Uh, and then thusly had James Wiseman just way too low like I've never had Wiseman lower than four on my board Um, Mm -hmm. so moving him up to number two is like not a big jump there were people that had him at like eight to eleven and it's just like you have clearly not watched enough of him Mm-hmm. And like you clearly have not done the background on him to where you can have that opinion. Like I, I don't right. understand. I, I get it from the perspective of I don't want to take centers in the NBA draft because I don't want like me personally. I think it's much more valuable to take wings. I, it's mm-hmm. been proven time and again taking wings, taking guards. These are the players that are tough to find on the free agency market. These are the guys that you should be taking and trying to draft. Guys who can actually create their own shot. But that guy doesn't really exist in this draft other than Lamelo, I think. <laughs> like, right. You, you gotta you gotta take what's there, and to me, it's Wiseman. Like that that's the guy I'd be going with. Uh, definitely makes sense. Like a Wiseman PJ Washington front court, I feel is going to be or would be very fun for like a decade. Uh, yep. I don't feel like PJ Washington got enough credit for the year that he had in general. Yeah. Like he he was just fantastic. Um, flashed a lot of different things. Um, was better defensively than I thought he was going to be coming out. And I mean the shots there. Like, there isn't much that he can't do. I'm pretty excited to watch him moving forward. Yeah, like I, I had PJ at number forty-two on my rookie scale rankings. That was mm. probably seven or eight spots too low, I would say. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe maybe five to seven spots too low, something like that. Like he, he should have been higher where I had him because I mm-hmm. I went back and watched him both before I did the project so I was like yeah he's probably like a borderline guy that's on here and he went from that to oh shit no he definitely needs to be on here and he <laughs> needs right. to be ahead of Miles Bridges on here because he's just better than Miles Bridges now um, yeah it's tricky it's very very uh, very tricky to see where he goes because so much of it relies upon uh, the three point shot and look he got hurt midway through the year but like in his mm-hmm. first 32 games he shot 42 percent from three in his final 26 he shot 33 percent so like right is he a 40 percent three-point shooter is he somewhere in the middle of those two numbers like is he 
a baller and just knocking down 42 from three whenever he's healthy. Like, right. uh, if he's anything resembling what we saw in that first half of the season, basically, he's going to be a very, very, very high-level starting four uh, in this NBA for a long time because he does everything that you're looking for. Right. What, uh, what, what else do we see here for Charlotte? Because a really interesting core in a lot of ways with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier, uh, a really mm-hmm. interesting uh, you know, front court as well with Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington. They do need a center long term. They still have the Malik Monk experiment if they want to continue going down that road. Uh, mm-hmm. Malik Monk showed some flashes uh, this season at times, uh, as he is prone to do, just to continue showing flashes <laughs> as opposed to consistency. Right. I think they should just be looking for as much talent as they can get. And that's like an easy thing to say. But if I was them, I'd be particularly looking on the wing as much as I could. I'd be looking to add athleticism and defensive prowess on the wing and go from Mm -hmm. there. Uh, That's actually what I was going to say. I think they really need wings. As you mentioned, they have interesting guards. They have interesting front court pieces. Um, I've kind of, I don't want to say sour. That's too strong of a word. But, like, Miles Bridges just hasn't become the guy that I thought he was going to become. Yeah. And that's a bit frustrating. But they definitely need some wing help. Like, if you're just looking at free agents, um, there aren't any really young guys that intrigue me there. Like, I mean, Derrick Jones Jr. would obviously fit, but he's not a long-term solution there at all. Yeah. Um, And I think he's going to be better on threes and fours, to be honest, not, like, mm -hmm. a true wing. Right, right. So, I mean, just – any kind of defensive wing depth, honestly. Like, I wonder what they're going to do with Dwayne Bacon. Like, I feel like he definitely flashed some things. Um, I don't know. Like, just I think buying low on some wings, uh, see if they can throw some money at a at a Justin Holiday, just to have some, just have someone that knows what they're doing at the three spot. Here, here, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Should they try to throw money? Should they try to acquire Gordon Hayward? They tried to do it previously. Uh, he's the reason that uh, Utah had to match an offer sheet for him mm-hmm. that was shorter than what they originally would have loved, I'm sure, uh, given that it gave them a year less of team control on Gordon Hayward. Right. I kind of like the idea of them trying to chase a wing that can make some plays and be an unselfish guy like Hayward, plus they have the cap space to eat that $30 million, uh, early on this year. That's interesting. I'm not sure if I like that for Charlotte because I think they are further away than MJ would like to admit, probably. (laughs) And I think trading for Gordon Hayward, especially if he's able to stay healthy, like, sure, that puts Charlotte in the 30 to 35 win range or whatever. I don't think that's I don't think they're ready to make that kind of playoff leap yet. So I guess it would just kind of boil down to how much they would have to give up to bring them in. Yeah, like if you could do something like, man, it's hard because the way you'd almost have to do it is by moving the, no, like doing something like around like 14 and number three or something. Like it's hard to, maybe you could do like a future first for him, Uh, like a future first in Miles Bridges for Gordon Hayward uh, and then he just comes into cap space like does that even work maybe it's just Miles Bridges 
he comes into cap space. Uh-huh. But like, I think that they're going to get better offers than Miles Bridges if they decide to move Gordon Hayward. Yeah. And by the way, like, yeah. is it a shoe in that Gordon Hayward opts in? I would like to think so. Like, I don't see, I don't see what team extends him. Like, I don't see boss. I don't see him. I don't know. Like, if he is he getting four eighty five or four ninety from someone at this point? Yeah, that, that. So, like, the number I think it would take is probably three seventy five. Something like that. Like you'd probably have to make twenty five million a year, and then mm-hmm. get that like extended out for a couple of years to be willing to opt out. If you were Charlotte and you didn't have to give up anything to do that, would you do like four one hundred for Gordon Hayward? Uh, I I just can't see Charlotte doing. I don't think they should do that. I'll take. I'll put it like that. I can. I can definitely see a world in which they talk themselves into that. I would not do that if I was Charlotte. Like I, I don't think Gordon Hayward moves the needle enough to give him that kind of commitment. Yeah, I think that's actually like a thousand percent reasonable uh, on there. And the problem is, like, how do they go out and acquire guys? Like, can they go out and acquire guys? Is like a big thing for them. Like, they have to go out and get guys in the draft. They finally have a high-level draft pick. If they end the summer having acquired Gordon Hayward and James Wiseman, potentially, mm-hmm. that feels like a real influx of like substantial talent. Plus, they would still have max cap space next summer, even if they sign Gordon Hayward to a pretty massive deal. Like the, Their cap sheet is just so clear going forward. Mm-hmm. I think they're finally off the Biombo contract now, right? And then Nicholas Batum hits free agency next year, assuming he doesn't opt out, which I don't see why he would do that at all. Right. There's no, yeah, there's uh, no way he opts out. Like, I, I, I think that Hayward probably opts in. Mm-hmm. But, like, if a team could get to, like, the Hayward camp ahead of time and say, look, if you opt out, we'll give you four 100, I think you probably do opt out in that case and lock in that money don't you uh yeah for hayward yeah i guess i'm just more skeptical that for 100 is out there for hayward at this point i think that's what my disconnect is i am too like honestly i am skeptical of it but i don't hate that move if i'm charlotte i guess is what i would say like if charlotte has enough flexibility long term to where you can go out and get a past all-star in mm-hmm. Gordon Hayward, who was really good this year when he was on the court. Like up, it, People remember like the playoffs because he was coming back from that injury, but when Hayward was out there for Boston, he was awesome, I thought. And he's kind of a perfect fit for guys like Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier in the backcourt because he plays such an unselfish game while also being able to like create his own shot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I actually really, really like that fit for Charlotte, weirdly. Like, they're going to spend their money somehow this summer. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) it's probably not going to be in a way that we like, (laughs) that we look at as being a positive value contract. So I'm trying to, like, think of how can they spend their money in a way that at least gets them talent and... Mm -hmm 
that's not a deal that I hate, even though it probably is overpaying for Gordon Hayward. I don't think that's a deal that I hate, I guess. I guess if they're going to go that route, why Gordon Hayward over Victor Oladipo, I guess, is my thing. Because you'd have to give up assets to get Oladipo because he's locked in for next year. Like I'm saying, if you could get to Hayward and say, look, opt out, give you this money. Uh, Well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh, You're going to talk me into Hayward to Charlotte. Oh, man. I I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like Charlotte has to build towards something, and I don't know (laughs) if Hayward really... I, I just don't know if he moves the needle enough. That's just kind of where I'm stuck. Like, he would so, definitely help, but... Like, would you rather pay Bogdan Bogdanovich or Hayward? Uh, I would probably say Bogdan because it would cost a little bit less. Sure. And, like, I don't think the talent gap there is massive enough to where you really feel it especially where Charlotte is in their rebuild right now. I, I think the talent gap's pretty big between those two, but I understand what you're saying. Okay. I think that there's like a case for paying $14 million a year for Bogdan over 25 for Gordon Hayward. Yeah, that's, that's just... I don't know. Like, I mean, I could very much be... I could very well be off, but I, I don't feel like... Even though Hayward looked better last year, I don't know if he's 11 mil per year better than Bogdan at this point. Yeah, I think that that's, that's very reasonable to me, to be honest. Uh, like, I mean, the thing that they should do, they should try and max Brandon Ingram and do the same thing that they did with Hayward last time. Yeah. Uh, native of North Carolina, like, possible guy that they can try and sway I, I think that new orleans 100 percent matches but if mm-hmm. you can do the thing that you did last time and maybe get him to free agency sooner that could pay dividends down the road um mm-hmm. I, I would pretty strongly consider that um let me i'm like running through free agency lists like <laughs> i mean like joe harris I, i'd rather have hayward because i'd rather have the playmaking mm-hmm. uh Contavious Caldwell Pope, like I'd rather have playmaking. Um, like it, it's just hard to find. It's really hard to find wings on the free agency market, is what I keep coming back to. And if I was Charlotte, I would really strongly consider. Like, would you rather have Hayward or Danilo Gallinari? I would rather have Gallo, which I'm not sure how much of a hot take that is, but. I would probably rather have Gallo, just a guy that can get... I think he's a little bit better at getting downhill and getting to the free throw line than Hayward is at this stage. Yep. And Charlotte, Charlotte just desperately needs someone to to get some rim pressure, which is why, I mean, that's part of why I think Wiseman would be such a great fit, just to having that vertical gravity there. Um, I would rather have Gallo. And again, I don't think Gallo's going to command like a four-year deal no. or huge money. So I, I would probably go that route. In a vacuum, I agree with you uh, that it's like a conversation. Like, I think that they're pretty close and like it's very reasonable to make a case that Gallinari is better. But mm-hmm. 
for Charlotte particularly, where I think Hayward can actually play some wing and play as like a secondary ball handler and not overlap with P.J. Washington's development, I would probably rather have Hayward. Okay, that's fair. I do think Gallo's almost strictly a four at this stage. Yep. I see how that would kind of muddy the waters there with P.J. That makes sense. So, I don't know, man. I, I think, Charlotte's um, in such a weird spot. They are, and part of it is because of how tough it is to acquire talent there. Like, I don't think they should be turning... Like, if if Gordon Hayward is willing to come there, I'm just like, yes, let's do it. Like, I would... Mm. It, maybe that turns into another Nikola Batum contract, but you hope that, you know, we get out of this pandemic, uh, and then four years down the road, four years, $100 million for Gordon Hayward uh, doesn't look like a disaster deal. And maybe you right. can even do it like on a descending level to where it's like uh, he gets 27 and then like 22 in the last year of the deal. That definitely makes it a little bit better. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm weirdly selling myself on Charlotte trying to like <laughs> uh, tamper with Gordon Hayward to try and get him to Charlotte, basically. <laughs> <laughs> again <laughs> so yeah let's let's do it i'm in um is there anyone we've spent a lot of time on hayward they have enough uh flexibility to where they can do that salary wise this year is there anyone else that like really stands out to you as someone that they should chase uh partly because i'm low on terry rogier in general um, I feel like Charlotte is a sneaky Fred Van Vliet spot. Wouldn't hate it. But yeah, but other than that, like the Ingram offer sheet would be interesting. I don't think that materializes. New Orleans would probably match there. Um, other than that, just going for like cheaper two-year deals with decent 3 and D wings. Again, I feel like Justin Holiday would kind of help them there, kind of keep the keep their sheet a little bit cleaner. And I think he feels a role that they just don't have anyone on the roster to fill right now. And just yeah. getting another good vet in the room, I think makes sense for them. I think holiday is going to make sense for too many contenders mm-hmm. this year. Like I, it's just like the right price range, right player type, good defensively, good shooter, like kind of, kind of does everything mm-hmm. in the same vein of what I was talking about with, Gordon Hayward, is there any world where you try to do the same thing with DeMar DeRozan and try to get him to opt out to sign him to a longer deal? Uh, ooh, man. No. I feel kind of similar. I don't think DeRozan... DeRozan probably moves the needle a little bit more than Hayward, but still not enough. I think DeRozan is definitely a good enough creator to raise their floor. But I'm still just kind of of the mindset, just in a vacuum, like, what are you building towards? And I'm not sure DeMar DeRozan gets you to where you really want to be. It's kind of wild. Like, I would have thought that DeMar is, like, it almost feels like DeMar is, like, three years older than Gordon Hayward, but they're, like, within the same year, basically, of age. Like, mm-hmm. Damar was born August 89. Gordon Hayward was born March 1990. Oh, man, they are close. And Damar came yeah. in younger than Hayward, right? Yeah. And Hayward averaged 
17 and a half, seven rebounds and four assists this year. And I think he plays a bit more of a complimentary game mm-hmm. to where I think I would rather have Hayward. Let, let's, yeah, let's, let's go to tiers. Let's go to Seth Partnow's tiers here. Let's, let's see where he has DeRozan versus Hayward. Let's see. DeRozan, he has 4A. He probably has Hayward 4A as well. So they're in the same tier, so we're good. Uh, Seth Partnow, infallible on the tiers. We're in, <laughs> we're in good go. shape here. Fantastic um, job on those tiers. Yeah, he did. Seth, really, I talked to Seth last episode. Seth really did a great job on those. Um, I'm taking the piss a little bit here. Uh, to go full Australian, but uh, really, Seth is just the best, and I love the project that he did. Um, yeah, I think that that's the uh, that's what I do. Low cost flyers for Charlotte. Like you don't try and overpay Contavious Caldwell Pope if you're Charlotte. I don't think. Yeah, that's fair. Um, like you you don't try and overpay like wing like wing role players yet i think you try and get guys that can be like difference makers as creators and you know complementary creators and then go from there and see if you can get the wings later next summer if you take a leap this year gotcha that's fair let's uh move to washington i think let's go let's go washington number nine overall pick this year it seems like they're not going to trade Bradley Beal. I think that they want to see what Bradley Beal looks like with John Wall this mm-hmm. coming year, which I think look not the route that I would go personally, but I understand why they want to do it. Where do you fall on the Wizards this summer? Because I would imagine that it's going to be kind of quiet insofar as try to resign Davis Bertans keep Bradley Beal see what John Wall looks like next year and then maybe make your moves at the deadline if this roster fails mm-hmm. that's I think that's definitely going to be the pathway like you bring back Bertans um, I think they need a backup center pretty badly I actually like Thomas Bryant quite a bit um, they just need they need a boost in rim protection just in general um, so I think adding adding a backup big, bringing back Bertans, seeing what John Wall looks like, um, just to kind of bring it full circle with an earlier conversation. If we're going back to Philly, wouldn't if Philly decides to split up Embiid and Simmons, if they choose to keep Embiid, doesn't a Simmons Beal swap seem pretty interesting from that perspective? Whew. Yes. Period. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I think that they won't do better than Simmons in a Beal deal. And a Beal and B core is very intriguing to me. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. I, I mean... I mind it because I don't think I would do it. Like, I don't think I would trade Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal. But, Mm -hmm. like, I guess the way to put it is it's a different route than what I would do. But I've heard worse ideas. (laughs) 
I'll take it. Like, I feel like, I mean, if you get a locked in Ben Simmons, like even if you're riding out the rest of the wall contract, that's a natural pick and roll partner there. Um, Bill gives them the shot creation that Philly desperately needs. Um, I feel like it's a pretty natural fit if they want to go that route. But anyway, yeah, I do agree with you. Like, I don't think there are going to be any major moves on what from Washington. Um, again, just bring back their guys, add some depth because they need it. Um, a lot of the depth that they do have are young pieces that are still learning NBA basketball. Um, again, like Thomas Bryant is still trying to get there defensively. Um, a guy like Troy Brown Jr. is going to step into more minutes next year. Um, Rui is better than I thought he would be. <laughs> so, you were not <laughs> a Rui guy. guy. I was not a Rui guy. I was just kind of out on the. I was out on the defense, and I didn't really. I don't want to say I don't trust the three point shot. I just didn't know if it would be there. Period. Just seems like a mid post creator, really good athlete, but the feel kind of had me out on him on both ends. But he looks like he's going to be a player. Yeah, the, having like a crazy intersection of like power and speed, really just and like frame. Obviously, at six foot eight with a seven two wingspan, like in general, that stuff just tends to stick. Now, will it stick at a high level? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Like he he might be a guy, right? But. We'll see. You know, maybe it does stick at a higher level than what we're anticipating uh, with Rui. Because I think that like there's a reasonable chance he'll be a starting four-man. But it's going to require him knocking down shots from distance. And mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see whether or not that comes along. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Thomas Bryant. I think that they need a starting center. And then they can use Bryant in like 20 to 25 minutes a night. I do like Thomas Bryant, but... Uh, I think that they could use another guy there, like as another option, and I don't think Mo Wagner is the solution. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh. the guy that I'd be targeting if I was them is Zinyeka Okongwu, like no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a non-zero chance that I think they look at someone even like a precious Achua at six foot nine with a seven-two wingspan who would actually be like a good compliment to thomas bryant it's high for me like i don't think i could take precious at number nine but it's not unintelligent or like ununderstandable i guess is the way that i would put it that would make them i mean if they were to target like Precious as like second or third on their board or whatever, like that would make them prime trade back pro- uh, partners. Then no. Yeah, you would think so. Like they, it, it's hard to say. Like Precious's range, from what I've been told, is something like ten to twenty, like somewhere in that range. So, if they really want him, like they would be taking a risk by pushing back. Like you probably couldn't push back farther than 14 and feel like really good about getting him. And mm-hmm. maybe there's something there. Like maybe Boston would rather have number 10 because they want to confirm that they get their guy or number nine. I'm sorry, because they want to try and get their guy. Like, I think that if they really liked precious, like there's a way to move back and get him, but it probably can't be that far to get right. him either. Gotcha. Um, is there 
I mean, like, what do we think the Davis Bertans contract looks like? That's another actually interesting question because uh, if I was Phoenix and Fred Van Vliet does not sign there, uh, Bertans is the guy that I would probably look at pretty heavily. Oh, man, good luck stopping <laughs> Devin Booker, Davis Bertans, and DeAndre Ayton. Good Lord. Uh, as far as the contract, is he, like, 460, 470, somewhere in that range? That's so much money for Davis Bertans. <laughs> and it is. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thing. Like, the free agency class is just kind of a mess. That's for starters. But also, like, for him to essentially be, like, a one-skill guy, but for him to be, what, 6'10", tossing yeah. in the kind of shots that he tosses in, like, he just bends the court in a way that how many front court players do now. It's, yeah. like, it's Cat Przingis, and Berta is, like, is that it? Bertans is up there, uh... For guys that are that tall that can shoot, like Markinen maybe has a chance one day, but he's nowhere near there yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like, Bertans is a better shooter than Porzingis is, like, by far. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the way that he stretches the floor. Like, the, the thing with Bertans is he stretches the floor out to, like, 28 feet as opposed to 24 <laughs> feet. So, like, like, you look at the threes that he takes above the break they're ridiculous like he's basically solely taking like 27 foot threes like if you look at his shot chart there is a space of like two feet where he's behind the uh above the break line where he doesn't take threes like right at the line ever (laughs) (laughs) right and then even those they aren't even spot up attempts these he's like coming off of yeah like it's the early transition handoff type deals. He's twisting his body, just kind of chucking them up. Like he is just a ridiculous shooter. Yeah, I would assume that they're gonna spend a crazy amount of money to keep him. Like, yeah, four sixty between four sixty and four seventy. If he ended up there, it wouldn't totally stun me. Uh, probably more than I'd feel comfortable with. But uh, <laughs> then again, they signed Andrzej Pesechnik like with whom Bertans shares an agent and Pesechnik is nowhere near an NBA player. So I would imagine that like <laughs> there's a very strong working relationship there between agency and uh, player yeah. and team. Yeah. And I think that also serves as a bit of John Wall insurance. If the burst isn't quite there, having a pick and pop partner like Bertans definitely would take some pressure off, help him get downhill. Yep. So, And Thomas Bryant too. Like if they can basically play five out, with those guys, like mm-hmm. it, it's really, really going to help John Wall as he returns. So, right. yeah, I, I think that they're going to re-sign Bertans. I think they're going to keep Bradley Beal. I really don't even want to speculate on Bradley Beal trades because I don't know that it's worth it at the moment. <laughs> like I just <laughs> don't. Uh, he's signed for two more years and then has a player option at $37 million on top of it uh, in 2022-23. So, yeah, I think that the first time we really start to see significant Bradley Beal trade discussions is maybe at the deadline if this team starts out like pretty poorly. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, all right, the last team here, the Orlando Magic, who is in a weird spot 
because of the Jonathan Isaac injury. And I'm not entirely sure what they should do. I, I really am not sure what the Orlando Magic should try to do this summer. Uh, they are potentially a team that has some cap space. Uh, not a ton of cap space, but they could have some if mm-hmm. Yvon Fournier leaves or opts out of that money. I guess that that's like the first question. Do we think Yvon Fournier opts out of $17 million? Uh... Like, I oddly feel like he's a fit somewhere like Detroit. Um, Like, Detroit could use him. Charlotte could probably use him. So it wouldn't surprise me if he opts out and goes and tries to secure a long-term bag. Uh, Like, I think 17 is kind of the bar to where he can opt out and not feel bad about it. Yeah. I think that there's a pretty good chance he probably does. Um, if I was Orlando, like I would consider re-signing him, but if he opts out, it would be at a lower number uh, over longer term. Uh, it, like mm-hmm. if, if he opts out and gets four years, because he's still only 27, almost 28. Uh, if he opts out and gets four years, 55 million, and locks himself into that money, uh, even though it's what, like $14 million a year, that's still probably a win for him to just lock right. in that money. Yeah. I think that makes sense for him. If he, if he had a player option, I mean, obviously bad, like a Hayward player option, he's not going anywhere, but if it was 2021 kind of in that depot range, like I, I think he opts in, but 17, I think he can comfortably get something like 455, 460, somewhere in that range. Would you rather have Fournier at four fifty? Let's say four sixty. If you're Charlotte, because you probably have to pay a bit of a premium to get him away from contending teams, mm-hmm. or Hayward at four one hundred. Uh, I would probably go <laughs> Fournier. I uh, I think I would go Hayward still. I think that. Uh, think that just added playmaking there. Yeah, I think he's just a pretty, pretty considerably all-around better player than Yvonne Fournier. Uh, it, it, everything else but scoring. And even mm. that this year, he was probably a slightly more efficient scorer than Hayward was, or than Fournier was, given the role that they both had. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Orlando Magic, though. If you're Orlando and you're in this very strange spot where your cap sheet is kind of locked in like even going forward potentially depending on what you mm-hmm. decide to do with Markel Fultz and uh, depending on what you decide to do with Jonathan Isaac like they can kind of clear space next year but it's going to be tight uh, I mean what do you do with this roster I I, I, love, I rough- love that they compete but it's hard <laughs> like this yeah roster, this frustrates me immensely <laughs> This roster hasn't made sense in like four years, it feels like. Yeah. Like it's it's just a collection of it's just a collection of power forwards, it feels like. It's like the Knicks if they were kinda competent. Like they it's it's just a weird thing that they've done with 
you have Vooch up front, you have Isaac up front, you have Aaron Gordon up front. And like none of them really complement each other, but they're all good. So it kind of works and it helps them float around the end of the Eastern playoff race. But like they need some sense of direction. And I think Markel Fultz's addition there has been a nice story for him, but he still doesn't really solve their issues. Yeah. Like they're still at a shooting deficit and it's pretty stark, even with Vooch shooting more threes now. And um, even with Fournier and Terrence Ross being there. Yeah, like their diets, or at least Taron Ross's, uh, like his diet is basically contested threes still. <laughs> so the fact that he makes as many as he does is incredible, but like they just don't have, they don't have enough spacing to make the front court work, and the front court doesn't have enough. It's tough to say they don't have enough skill, but like there's no real game breaker there that opens up things for others. Like they're missing someone to really carry a load. Like in an ideal world, I would like for them to kind of clear the decks a bit, give Jonathan Isaac the ball and just let him stretch himself. Like, I don't think he's going to be Giannis at all, but I think doing what Milwaukee did in the early stages, um, giving him the ball and just stretching him, stretching the limits of his game and seeing what he can do as a creator. Cause he has had some solid flashes over the last year and a half before getting hurt. So I would, just kind of see what you have in Isaac because I think he's their best shot at having like a real blue chip prospect and you kind of build it around yeah. him and see what he can do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he is this team's elite prospect. Uh, I really like Aaron Gordon as a player. I think this might be the time to cash in on Aaron Gordon uh, with mm-hmm. two years, $34 million left on that deal. That's a good deal for Aaron Gordon, uh, for teams mm. to go out and try and acquire. But now with the Jonathan Isaac injury, with him likely missing next season, you almost kind of need Aaron Gordon if you want to keep your spot in the playoffs. It's just like, what is the direction of this team? Do they want to try and win a title? Or are they comfortable just making the playoffs every year? Because this team, as currently constituted cannot come close to even getting a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, I don't think. Right. Like it's it's kind of it's been time for them to kind of reset. Um I think honestly this would probably be the time to do it with Isaac being out. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't twenty twenty two likely to be the Cade Cunningham draft? Twenty twenty one you mean. Twenty twenty one? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cade Cunningham will be in the twenty twenty one draft. Next year's draft is exceedingly strong. Uh if I was I mean, look, like I'd be tearing this whole fucking thing down if I was that <laughs> like, But it's it's hard too because like I really respect what Steve Clifford and this coaching staff have wrought out of this roster that is kind of misshapen. Uh, mm-hmm. And has not done a great job of uh, utilizing its assets, in my opinion. Like, they've done a good job of, like, they did a good job. They hit on Jonathan Isaac. They hit on using that first round pick, uh, sort of, to get Markel Fultz. I think Aaron Gordon's, like, a pretty good player. And if you look at the guys that went behind him, it's not like they, like, missed on that pick. Right. The problem is just, like, actualizing. You can't have them together. 
yeah, you can't have all these guys together. And then they take Chuma Okiki last year, which was, in my opinion, not only an overdraft, but a guy that was injured that they were overdrafting and Mm -hmm. a guy that was injured that they were overdrafting who already has overlap with (laughs) a number of players that are already on their roster. Like, Nikhil Alexander-Walker would have made more sense. Um, Like, if they would have taken Ty Jerome... I would have liked mm-hmm. it more. <laughs> and like Chuma Okiki's fine. Like, I don't mean to write off Okiki's career, but to not take a guy like Kevin Porter over Chuma Okiki is just crazy to me. Like, mm-hmm. again, like this comes from someone who thinks like Chuma Okiki is probably going to be fine as a rotational role player. It's like they've constructed their roster to defend good playoff teams instead of becoming one. Is kind of what it looks like. That's really interesting. Like they just don't have the offensive upside to go anywhere serious. And now they're just kind of stuck. And now, like they're pinning their hopes to Markel Fultz. And I like Markel, and I think, like you said, like it's a great story that Markel Fultz is a pretty good NBA player now. Like he averaged twelve points and five assists a game, but. Until he shoots it, he's still a very limited problem player for them. Right. Like, you you can't have Markel Fultz be your lead option unless he's shooting it. And maybe the shooting comes back at some point. And if it does, holy shit, Markel Fultz is probably going to be pretty good. Because the finishing is already translating. Uh, the passing is already translating, given the fact that nobody pays him any respect beyond the three-point line. And like mm-hmm. Magic fans will point to the fact that Fultz has showed some mid-range ability over the course uh, of this year with Orlando, and it's he's not doing it at enough volume to where it means anything. Like he's taking fewer than one and a half shots between sixteen and you know, 23 feet and making them at a 45% clip. Like that's not enough to really make a dent. He took like two shots a game from 10 to 16 feet and made them at 38%. That's just not good enough in that Mm. range. So he does a great job finishing at the rim and he is a good defender because he's been unlocked on that end by Clifford and uh, he's super creative and still finds a way to get penetration despite the fact that nobody pays any respect to his jump shot. But until that shot comes, it's it's hard for me to really, really think it's going to work in a substantial way that like is a difference making guard in the NBA level. Hmm. Yeah, like he needs that jumper to kind of boost his own value. And then he is surrounded by talent that doesn't really maximize him either. Right. So it's honestly, I mean, it's a testament to him that he's been as effective as he has been in Orlando, considering. Right. Yeah, you your three best shooters are Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier, and Nikola Vucevic. Like, there's only so much you can do. And, like, even with all of those concerns that I just outlined with him, if I was running Orlando, I would move Vucevic, move Gordon, frankly, probably move, I don't know what you can get from Mobambo, but I might try to just end that tenure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe I'll just, maybe I'd let him loose. Maybe that would be what I'd do this year. I might try and see if there's anything there with him after I move Vucevic. Um, 
But I'd be moving Vucevic. I'd be moving Gordon. I'd be letting Yvonne Fournier walk in all likelihood as opposed to signing him to a four-year deal that's long-term. And I'd just be hitting the reset button. And seeing what I have in Markel Fultz, seeing what I have in Jonathan Isaac long-term, and then going from there. Yeah, I think this is the year to reset. Um, Again, Isaac basically gives you a get-out-of-jail-free card, like sell off on those vets, prep for the K draft, see if you can get in there. Because he's going to be absurd, he's yeah, already he's absurd. <laughs> but, the the crazy like that, thing is, like I've I've heard from Oklahoma State already, and they're just like, oh yeah, you know, like how Cade, like the question is whether or not he can shoot. He can shoot. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what are what are we doing here if Cade Cunningham can shoot? Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, I'd be trying to go all out for that draft because it's not just Cade Cunningham in that draft. Like, there are six or seven guys that I think would be in the mix for the number one overall pick this year in that draft. Um, if I was Orlando, I'd be hitting the reset button. I would keep Fultz. The other big thing here now is, like, Jonathan Isaac is not going to play on this fourth year of this contract. If you're going to extend him, you might as well extend him this summer. Because why not? Uh, I guess that like you can make the case that they have cap space that they could potentially use next summer. So why not? It's like, I guess maybe that is the case. Maybe you have the cap space to use next summer. So why not just wait and use it next summer? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like he's going to get hurt again in all likelihood. So like he doesn't need to lock in the money right now. Right. So I, yeah, because I, I'm not sure. Does he get maxed? You, we're not on video right now, so you can't see my hands. But my hands are just like shrugged, like shoulder shrug. Like, <laughs> I'm like Ricky Bobby in that interview where it's just like I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, he gets a hundred at least. Like he's getting four years, a hundred million. I would think. Um, whether or not he gets like four years 125 million uh, i don't know but he'll get 100 i would say yeah, like gotta obviously have to see how he recovers but like he is a game-breaking defender yeah and like he has enough on-ball flashes to raise your eyebrows it's just what kind of roster is going to be surrounding him right and just those questions that's kind of why i'm in the mind if i'm orlando like let's lock him in now because i I don't know. That's that's just a fascinating deal to watch over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm not real sure on what to do with Isaac, but yeah, I mean, what do we think Orlando will actually do? We we've said what we would do, and it involves blowing this thing up. I don't think they will do that. So, what do we think they will actually do? Uh, probably try to upgrade it. They're going to have to get some shooters in there at some point. Like, I'm not sure what Joe Harris's market is going to be. I feel like targeting someone like him would be interesting. Um, they have enough interesting pieces. Maybe they go. Would it make sense for them to go to sign and trade route and see if they can get Fred Van Bleed in? I mean, there's a fit with him and Markel Foles, I feel like. Yeah, I would like that. I, I mean, like. What does Toronto take there? Because 
I don't love the fit of Siakam and Gordon, especially when one of their goals is to keep cap space for a potential Giannis move next summer. Um, I'm not doing Vucevic for Van Vliet. Like, I'm not facilitating that. (laughs) Um, They're not moving Isaac for Van Vliet. Right. I probably wouldn't want to do Markel Fultz. Like, I don't... I'm not signing and trading for Yvonne Fournier. I, I don't... I don't really yeah, see tricky there. fit, but I like the idea. I like where you're thinking. Like, if I was them, I would definitely be thinking of, like, worlds in which that could happen. You know what I mean? Right. So, I think upgrading... Just the shooting in general, upgrading the point guard spot... Like DJ Augustine is fine, but also he can't be your best late game creator. Yep. That's just a tough spot to be in. Like, uh, like Jordan Clarkson probably helps them. It just, that's, that's, they really just need to blow this thing up. Yeah. It's, this is not, this isn't great. We probably haven't talked enough about like what a potential Aaron Gordon move looks like because I do think that that is something that could happen. Like a, an Aaron Gordon mm-hmm. trade, I think, is like a potential real outcome this summer. What do you acquire? Like, what do you get back for Aaron Gordon at two years, thirty-four and a half million? Like, I would imagine if you're Orlando, you're going to be looking for a guard of some sort. Um, the one I've seen thrown out for, like, months now is swinging a deal for Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, I feel like something like that makes sense for them. Yeah. Um, again, I mean, we both kind of agree that Orlando needs to blow it up. But if they are serious about making a playoff push... Like they have enough big contracts to throw their hat in the Chris Paul ring or going smaller, going for like a Mike Conley, assuming he opts in. Like I wouldn't want them to do that, but if they're going to be a perennial playoff team, then they have the horses to make something like that work around Gordon. Is there... I've been trying to think, like, is there a world where they could do, like, Aaron Gordon and 15 to move up to number two? And then, like, Golden State. Yeah, and Golden State, like, does a step up deal to get James Johnson into um, that trade exception. Because you can just do James Johnson for uh, Gordon, Aaron Gordon. And then do the pick Mm. swap. That makes sense. And if you're Orlando, you're getting two. Who are you looking at there? Like LaMelo? Yeah, you take either LaMelo or Anthony Edwards, whichever one falls. I can see that. Does Golden Golden State State would love that. Does Golden State do that? I I think that kind of depends on how they feel about Wiseman. Um, If you just read the leaks that come out of Golden State, they apparently love like 12 people. So I don't <laughs> really know. Um, if they if they really are high on Wiseman, then probably not. But if they're fine with anyone else, then I think that deal appeals to them. Yeah, it depends. Like, is there a world where 
they like don't love anyone in this draft, but they like everyone in this draft. Mm-hmm. And they want to try to acquire like a guy that can help them now and then also move down to stay in this draft at like 15. That's like a non, non-impossible outcome to me. Um, there was a report that they like Sadiq Bay. Uh, Sadiq Bay has a pretty reasonable chance to be there at 15. Uh, it wouldn't mm-hmm. like totally stun me if Devin Vassell is on the board at 15. Uh, I, I wouldn't like I have Vassell at 10 on my board. So like, look, I'm not saying that he should be there, but it wouldn't totally stun <laughs> me if he was there. Um, or if you really like Devin Vassell or Sadiq Bay, like you could move up from 15 to 10, like, mm-hmm semi easily i would think like you could give up future value somehow to do that uh yeah i I think that that's like an interesting avenue for both sides if golden state does not think there's like one standout prospect uh the problem is the golden state also has like a number of other options like aaron gordon at their disposal do we think that aaron gordon is the best option for golden state in that case uh, realistically, I would probably say so. Like, I've seen so much about packaging Andrew Wiggins in two and getting like a legitimate all star, and I just don't see that happening at all. Um, I think Aaron Gordon is like a tier below all star, so I think that puts them in range to do that. And again, if they don't love anyone in this class, I think you can definitely make the case that trading for a ready-made guy like Aaron Gordon, who has already proven to be good and has done so in a setting that hasn't maximized his skill set, that putting him in Golden State with Steph and Clay would optimize him in a way that we haven't seen. And there will be more value from Gordon there than whoever you're getting at number two. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I actually do think that Aaron Gordon has a lot of untapped potential that I would personally be willing to take a risk on, especially putting him next to a guy like a Draymond Green. Now, like, look, you would have some concerns shooting there, but I I like that move. Like, if I was Orlando, like, there's no way that you're doing better than that for Aaron Gordon. Um Frankly, you might have to give up a little bit more to do that than Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. But uh, like this Brooklyn, like you mentioned Brooklyn, like Brooklyn Spencer Dinwiddie like makes real sense, I think. Um, and there's a very distinct difference between Spencer Dinwiddie and the number two overall pick. And like, that's what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I the problem is with this, like I, I don't have a gauge on what Aaron Gordon's value is because he's been in a suboptimal position to get the most out of him throughout the course of his career. Right. Like he's been miscast in terms of the roster around him, but then also he has this thing about him to where he thinks he's a better shot creator than what he really is. And that kind of muddies the waters too. Yeah. So I think definitely you, you want to put spacing around him and you also want to make him more of a play finisher. Yeah. So I think, you know, Golden State makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense for him um, playing in Brooklyn to where there's a clear hierarchy with KD and Kyrie. I think that would be good for him as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think those are the two spots that I would love to see him. 
And by the way, we talked about uh, Miami earlier. I know he has two years left on the deal, but I think that Aaron Gordon, you know, it, what is it? It's 16 million or whatever next year. That's an mm-hmm. eminently movable contract into space for someone. If Miami decided, Hey, we want to take a shot on Aaron Gordon. Uh, we have his salary. We think that if we have max cap space next year, we can move that deal pretty easily uh, into a team that just has cap space. That's like, th- those are the kind of moves that people like don't really truly think about. Um, but like you move Aaron Gordon into that Miami roster, like that's an interesting move to me. Ooh, I didn't even consider that. That would be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Jesus Christ, Bam and Aaron Gordon in the front court. Uh, and they do. They have the salaries to make it work. Right. So. Like you could do. Could you do um, Kelly Olynyk and Kendrick Nunn? And twenty for Aaron Gordon and something else. Like I, that's probably in, I feel like that's an easy yes for Miami. Yeah, I don't know if that's enough for Orlando. I mean, Kelly Olynyk gives them a big that can shoot. But I mean, you're not. <laughs> I mean, building a package around Kelly Olynyk doesn't sound super appealing. Well, the, the package uh, is built around Kendrick Nunn and the twentieth pick, yeah. pick. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are the two assets you're getting, and like it would have to be that you're hoping that Kendrick Nunn is like a real potential starting point guard, which I'm personally lower on. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, like he obviously has some. I mean, coming back from COVID, like he's not as bad as he was in the bubble. Um, there are some real questions about his defense. Um, just the passing ability in general uh, makes nothing but basic reads, and that's only if his top three options, which are all to shoot the ball, are kind of uh, blocked off. Um, I mean, there's some pull-up potential there. Like, he's a pretty decent pull-up shooter. Um, sneaky, solid finisher at the rim. Yep. So you, you can talk yourself into it. And, I mean, the Miami did have a good starting lineup all year long with him at point. So, I mean, it. What, what would you think of Kendrick Nunn and Markel Fultz together? That actually kind of works for me a little bit. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, Markel Fultz has the length to take on those tougher defensive assignments. Um, he definitely gets downhill better than Nunn does. Um, Nunn's obviously the better shooter. I can see the on court fit there. I actually am kind of in on this. I'm I'm intrigued now. Uh, that, that's a deal that I had not thought about previously, is Miami being in the mix for Aaron Gordon. Ooh, would definitely raise the seat. I mean, I'm just thinking of end-of-game lineups trying to score with <laughs> Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Aaron Gordon on the court at the same time. And they're just switching everything. That is That is terrifying. Yeah, that is actually like just an awesome defensive lineup that, and especially within like Miami's structure and culture, like then you put like Jay Crowder out there if you sign him to like a balloon deal. That's Mm -hmm. that's not a (laughs) that's not fun for opposing teams. Like you put Andre Iguodala out there if you want. Like you just have literally everyone be six six to six ten and hyper athletic. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. Oh, man. Nikias, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nikias NBA, N E K I A S NBA. Um, all my work is now at basketballnews.com. I am currently in the midst of doing free agency previews. Um, I have done the Heat, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Nuggets, just kind of working in reverse order from the playoffs. Um, so those are going to be dropping every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So be on the lookout for those. And other than that, follow me for some stray basketball thoughts and puns. Go follow Nikias. His Twitter handle is at Nikias NBA, N-E-K-I-A-S-N-B-A. One of the more fun follows that you will find on Twitter for the NBA. Keep it locked here at the Game Theory Podcast. We'll be back either this weekend or early next week with another off-season preview and maybe some draft stuff as well. Uh, it's about time I got back with a uh, good friend of the program, Matt Penny, and talked about the NBA draft. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.